0: This is day 101, and I'm reading from the NIV version of the Bible, First Samuel 11-12, and Psalm 55. First Samuel 11 Nahash the Ammonite went up and besieged Jabesh Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh said to him, Make a treaty with us, and we will be subject to you. But Nahash the Ammonite replied, I will make a treaty with you only on the condition that I gouge out the right eye of every one of you, and so bring disgrace on all Israel. The elders of Jabesh said to him, Give us seven days so we can send messengers throughout Israel. If no one comes to rescue us, we will surrender to you. When the messengers came to Gibbah of Saul and reported these terms to the people, they all wept aloud. Just then, Saul was returning from the fields behind his oxen, and he asked, What is wrong with everyone? Why are they weeping? Then they repeated to him what the men of Jabesh had said. When Saul heard these words, the Spirit of God came powerfully upon him, and he burned with anger. He took a pair of oxen, cut them into pieces, and sent the pieces by a messenger throughout Israel, proclaiming, This is what will be done to the oxen of anyone who does not follow Saul and Samuel. Then the terror of the Lord fell on all the people, and they came out together as one. When Saul mustered them at Bezek, the men of Israel numbered 300,000 and those of Judah 30,000. They told the messengers who had come, say to the men of Jabesh Gilead, by the time the sun is hot, tomorrow you will be rescued. When the messengers went and reported this to the men of Jabesh, they were elated. They said to the Ammonites, tomorrow we will surrender to you and you can do to us whatever you like. The next day Saul separated his men into three divisions. During the last watch of the night, they broke into the camp of the Ammonites and slaughtered them until the heat of the day. Those who survived were scattered, so that no two of them were left together. The people then said to Samuel, Who was it that attacked? Shall Saul reign over us? Turn these men over to us so that we may put them to death. But Saul said, No one will be put to death today, for this day the Lord has rescued Israel." Then Samuel said to the people, Come, let us go to Gilgal, and there renew the kingship. So all the people went to Gilgal and made Saul king in the presence of the Lord. There they sacrificed fellowship offerings before the Lord, and Saul and all the Israelites held a great celebration. Samuel said to all Israel, I have listened to everything you said to me and have set a king over you. Now you have a king as your leader. As for me, I am old and gray, and my sons are here with you. I have been your leader from my youth until this day. Here I stand. Testify against me in the presence of the Lord and his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Whose donkey have I taken? Whom have I cheated? Whom have I oppressed? From whose hand have I accepted a bribe to make me shut my eyes? If I have done any of these things, I will make it right. You have not cheated or oppressed us, they replied. You have not taken anything from anyone's hand. Samuel said to them, "'The Lord is witness against you, and also his anointed is witness this day, that you have not found anything in my hand. He is witness,' they said. Then Samuel said to the people, "'It is the Lord who appointed Moses and Aaron and brought our ancestors up out of Egypt. Now then, stand here because I am going to confront you with evidence before the Lord as to all the righteous acts performed by the Lord for you and your ancestors.'" After Jacob entered Egypt, they cried to the Lord for help, and the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, whom brought your ancestors out of Egypt and settled them in this place. But they forgot the Lord their God, so he sold them into the hand of Sisera, the commander of the army of Hazor, and into the hands of the Philistines and the king of Moab, who fought against them. They cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned, we have forsaken the Lord, and served the Baals and the Ashtaroths. But now deliver us from the hand of our enemies, and we will serve you. Then the Lord sent Jeroboam, Barak, Jephthah, and Samuel, and he delivered you from the hands of your enemies all around you so that you lived in safety. But then you saw that Nahesh, king of the Ammonites, was moving against you. You said to me, No, we want a king to rule over us, even though the Lord your God was your king. Now here is the king you have chosen, the one you asked for. See, the Lord has set a king over you. If you fear the Lord and serve and obey him and do not rebel against his commands, and if both you and the king whom reigns over you follows the Lord your God, good. But if you do not obey the Lord and if you rebel against his commands, his hand will be against you as it was against your ancestors. Now then, stand still and see this great thing the Lord is about to do before your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest now? I will call on the Lord to send thunder and rain, and you will realize what an evil thing you did in the eyes of the Lord when you asked for a king. Then Samuel called on the Lord, and that same day the Lord sent thunder and rain. So all the people stood in awe of the Lord and of Samuel. The people all said to Samuel, Pray to the Lord your God for your servant so that you will not die, for we have added to all our sins the evil of asking for a king." Do not be afraid, Samuel replied. You have done all this evil, yet do not turn away from the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Do not turn away after useless idols. They can do you no good, nor can they rescue you, because they are useless. For the sake of his great name, the Lord will not reject his people, because the Lord was pleased to make you his own. As for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you, and I will teach you the way that is good and right. But be sure to fear the Lord and serve Him faithfully with all your heart. Consider what great thing He has done for you. Yet, if you persist in doing evil, both you and your King will perish. Psalm 55 Listen to my prayer, O God. Do not ignore my plea. Hear me and answer me. My thoughts trouble me, and I am distraught, because of what my enemy is saying, because of the threats of the wicked. For they bring down suffering on me and assail me in their anger. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen on me. Fear and trembling have beset me. Horror has overwhelmed me. I said, oh, that I had the wings of a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. I would flee far away and stay in the desert. I would hurry to my place of shelter, far from the tempest and storm. Lord, confuse the wicked, confuse their words, for I see violence and strife in the city." Day and night they prowl about on its walls. Malice and abuse are within them. Destructive forces are at work in the city. Threats and lies never leave its streets. If an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe were rising against me, I could hide. But it is you, a man like myself, my companion, my close friend, with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship at the house of God, as we walk about among the worshippers. Let death take my enemies by surprise. Let them go down alive to the realm of the dead, for evil finds lodging among them. As for me, I call to God, and the Lord saves me. Evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress, and he hears my voice. He rescues me unharmed from the battle waged against me. Even though many oppose me, God, who is enthroned from of old, who does not change, he will hear them and humble them, because they have no fear of God. My companion attacks his friends. He violates his covenant. He talks as smooth as butter, yet war is in his heart. His words are more soothing than oil, yet they are drawn swords. Cast your cares on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. But you, God, will bring down the wicked into the pit of decay. The bloodthirsty and deceitful will not live out half their days. But as for me, I trust in you. As we are reading, we are beginning to see the red flags of Saul. And as Dr. Mackey describes him, Saul wasn't a great king, and he wasn't even a a really good or a good man. He was deeply flawed, and his mistakes will only get bigger and bigger. But before we're too judgmental, Dr. Mackey poses a good challenge. If we slow down and are honest with ourselves, we realize we might have more in common with Saul than we care to admit. Dr. Mackey suggests the author of 1 Samuel may want us to sympathize with Saul in order to see ourselves and learn lessons through him. One of the main root causes of Saul's character flaws seemed to be his self-exaltation, and at the same time, his self-deception, his total lack of self-awareness, and subsequent sober judgment. In chapter 11, we actually see Saul as this complex character Showing restraint and wisdom here, when he doesn't say, like, kill everyone. But he does chop up an ox and send it out and threaten everyone. Then in chapter 12, we learn something important from Samuel's speech. In the past, the people called upon the Lord, and God sent a deliverer. But this time, the people didn't call upon the Lord. They called upon Samuel to give them a king. And Father Mike Schmidt's view, God wants to be the king and send, have representative leaders and for us to trust in him to send that leader. But the people seem to be saying they just want a king to lead and deliver them, as in a human one. God seems disappointed, but allows it or tolerates it. Maybe because he gave them, his people, a portion of his authority and control, and he wants his people to yield it to him and bear his name, not force them into his will. So here we see that God has empowered this king. But the speech is at least mixed because Samuel speaks of the hardness of their hearts to do what they want when they want it. Father Mike Schmitz points out how there is confusion when God seems to be allowing things that we sometimes see as God's will or way, when it might be God allowing us to go our own way. Father Mike Schmitz compares this to the provision of divorce. This isn't what he wants, but the moral defection occurring in a broken covenant is also not what he intended. In that scenario, Jesus and, and earlier in the Old Testament, Moses also talked about the hardness of heart that leads to divorce. But what Father Mike Schmitz points out is not to give up the original design, God's character, or God's plan that He's laid out in the story for what God has allowed. Also, this story points in a very real way to a place we all have and do find ourselves when God has allowed us to go our own way. We see here from this story, God does not disqualify us. I think back to Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve morally defected by breaking the one rule of the garden. And while there would be consequences, God did not leave the relationship. He did not remove his presence or change his plan. He made a way and continued to keep his family as part of it. The story is telling us that God can still give you his spirit. He can still be with you, even when we do not make the choices that God wants. This is such a testament of who God is, how gracious, merciful, and loving. But notice, as Father Mike Schmitz points out, God wants to move forward. But also notice the plan doesn't change. We must be faithful and obey Him, or it will end in disaster. Our call, even if and when God has made an accommodation, is to go and sin no more. We come as we are, but we come for God's plan, His grace. His healing his transformation of our hearts from hard to soft this is such a powerful and convicting message for me i hope it is for you too what a gracious god and what a powerful reminder rejecting god as god may be allowed remember again the garden of eden we chose the tree of knowledge instead of the tree of life it had a crippling effect but god still loved us still remained present in relationship in the story in the mission in the covenant but there is so much at stake. I think to myself, heed the warning, heed the message. Even if and when God allows something, it doesn't mean it leads to flourishing and the outcome he wanted and designed. If we are not in obedience and we are making our own way, he remains because he loves us and he is offering a way out and a way back to him. Let's always take his hand And let's be reminded not to let go of it for something new or shiny or desirable that we know is outside of His will and ways. It will hurt us. It will hurt God. And it will hurt others. For me, the lesson is stay. And if and when lost, the lesson is return. Rest, abide, remember, 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 and obey. And be a part of the restorative and redemptive story that He's designed and called us into. Here it is said differently. The message for me is this. Someone who is willing tries to control the how and when, but someone who allows loosens the grip and trusts. So God is allowing and not willing, but we are willing and not allowing. Yet the God of creation seems to have given us a portion of power and control in Genesis one twenty-six and 28 and asked us to yield it to him and allow him in trust to lead the way in his timeline. So I ask myself, am I going to be willful or am I going to be willing in the ready, eager, and prepared way, which looks more like allowing God to be the center of the story? Hmm, the power of word choice in context, it really challenges me. Am I offering God my willingness or my willfulness?